And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show. The podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Dylan Quayer. And this week we're going to discuss 1946's Beauty and the Beast, written and directed by artist, poet, and playwright Jean Cocteau, based on the 1757 fairy tale by Gabrielle Suzanne Bardot de Villeneuve, I think. (laughs) Uh, with cinematography fi- by uh, Henri Alicon and featuring Rene Clement as the technical director and starring Josette Day as Belle and Jean Marais as both the Beast and Avenant. And throughout our discussion, it, actually, oh, we should have discussed this off air. Are we going to be doing like sprinkling in comparisons I, to Disney or are we going to do all do all I, 46? I think okay. so. We'll kind of do them like parallel. Yeah, parallel I think that them. makes sense. Just. Yeah, compare and contrast as, as it presents itself. Yeah. So we're going to sprinkle in some comparisons with the 1991 Disney animated film, Beauty and the Beast. But before we talk about the movie, Gianna, I know this was your first time watching it, uh, but you do revere the Disney one uh, quite highly, I believe. Yes. Yeah. The Disney one is my definitely my favorite of the... Disney Renaissance mm-hmm. films, um, and one of my favorite Disney films overall. Um, I have seen it a million times. It was the first movie that I ever went to see multiple times in the theater. Um, I was like seven and made various members of my family <laughs> take me four different times to go see Beauty and the Beast in the theater. And I decorated my whole room with Beauty and the Beast. Uh, you know, Disney store bought merchandise, so I was very much all in. Um, and I just love the story. Like, it's a very classic fairy tale sort of you know romance trope story and we'll get into all the sort of pros and cons of the fairy tale and the tropes and things but like i read romance novels to this day like i don't have a ton of objections to just very sort of straightforward like here's a you know maybe tragic maybe not romance um so yeah i had heard of this movie obviously and been familiar with it and sort of some of the imagery of it um, but had never seen it until yesterday and <laughs> earlier today when I finished it. Um, yeah, so I sort of went in just with general, like, like I said, very familiar with the animated story and general knowledge of the sort of fairy tale in general, which obviously, you know, the Disney version is not exactly the, <laughs> it doesn't track necessarily with the original fairy tale in all the details. Um, but yeah, I, I dug it. What about you, Dylan? You'd seen this before or no? Uh, yeah. I've seen it once before. It was a while. Um, there was a lot of things that I... Well, one thing in particular that I had completely wrong in my memory. And I think my favorite part on rewatch I had completely forgotten about. Which is when she goes <laughs> through the wall. There's a, That's the best sound effect I can make from that. There's a lot of good castle business. Like, There's a lot of cool things that happen in that castle. That was the most pleasant surprise for me. I was familiar with... Um, sort of how revered the makeup and the costumes and all of that was, but I didn't know much about sort of the design oh, aesthetics the of yeah the the castle and the production design. So that was that was very cool. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, Jenna, mm-hmm. on your rewatch of the '90s one, how many words of the songs did you sing with the movie? What percentile? I mean, 
I know pretty much all of them. Like, because I also, of course, had the, it would have been a cassette tape um, of the, yeah, I'm very old. So Dylan, a cassette tape tape was. (laughs) Soundtrack. Yeah, it's a little square (laughs) thing, and it had two sides. Um, I had a cassette tape as a little kid, too. (laughs) Yeah, I probably, yeah, because I probably got my very first CDs around the time you were born. Um, But yeah, so I... Not a big singer per se, but yeah, no, I know, I know all the words to all those songs, like especially the beginning one, like especially the sort of opening song. I've, the Great White Somewhere. The, yeah, just the yeah, the poor just provincial songs. town, you know, all that, all that sort of bratty <laughs> bell stuff in retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Tell us about your history. Yeah. So with the film, I've seen this, I think twice before. The first, the first time I ever saw this was actually. Um, uh, the very first podcast that I did, which is now defunct and kind of evolved into the other one I'm doing currently, um, I think it was the first time I actually ever met um, one of my current co-hosts on that, Eva. And we were doing a list called the top five movies you want to show your kids someday. And this was on her list. So I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And there's, she said there's like practical effects. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. And I checked it out and I absolutely loved it. So um, I've seen it one other time. I actually bought it um, like not long after I watched it. The first time I bought it on Criterion um, on eBay. And I didn't watch it for, or didn't go back to rewatch it for like a year. And uh, I popped it in because we were talking about rewatching it. And I didn't realize when I bought it that I bought the uh, Spanish version. <laughs> This, oh, uh, no. <laughs> so I have two copies of this now. I have the regular Blu-ray, <laughs> and I have a version that has no English at all. Uh, <laughs> so is it? It's still the original dialogue track, but with Spanish subtitles, or is it Spanish dubbed? I think it's Spanish subtitles. I'm not sure. It was it was years ago that I popped it okay. in. And it's, but it's, there was just no there was no English entry point for you. Yeah, and I think that was even before that they'd. I think it was even before they'd um, released it on blu-ray like the the english version on blu-ray oh sure Um, so it was a while ago it was probably five six years ago um so i can't i can't remember exactly uh what it was but i know whatever it was uh i could not watch it (laughs) and understand (laughs) what was going on although i feel like if you know the story you probably could i think you could you could i was gonna say i think you could follow this story if you're familiar with the the any version of the fairy tale even if you speak no French, I think you could follow along with uh, without too much of the language. You'd lose some yeah, sort of fun bits, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, some of the subtleties you might miss out on, but I think the, the overall, I mean, mm-hmm. most of this movie, and I'm sure we'll, I'm positive we will talk about some of the effects that they use. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the stuff that like just blows my mind about this movie. I, I love it so much, and I could see how like some people would find it like maybe childish or amateurish in some ways, but to me, I just find it charming. It's yeah, Most it's like it's like Ray Harryhausen stuff. Like some people <laughs> would watch it and be like, "Oh, like you can tell it's fake," and it's like, "Well, of course you can tell it's fake. Who cares?" Like, who like right. yeah, <laughs> you are Avatar, watching a movie. Yeah, Av- Avatar is fake too. Like Jurassic Park, you can tell mm-hmm. it's fake because there's dinosaurs in it, and they don't exist right. anymore. <laughs> 
for like right. 6,000 years they haven't existed. So, <laughs> <laughs> At least, yes. I, I just like to imagine the part where she like drifts through the hallway, the curtains. Like you just had this like loud guttural scream of like, yes. <laughs> oh, it's so. Because that is like the most beautiful shot. Oh. Oh, everything about her, like, I mean, we're jumping ahead already, but, like, everything about her arrival at the castle, which is, like, this extended yeah. sort of slow-mo kind of, oh, it's just mesmerizing to watch. Yeah. Um, but even, so we'll, I guess, dive into the movie. The The way the movie starts, like, is uh, kind of crack for me, where it's credits done in not just uh, the standard credits way, but it's being handwritten. Mm-hmm. And, man, I just... It's like uh, the credits to almost uh, to almost famous when they're like handwritten out in pencil. God, I I just mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, so much. It, that really caught me off guard. Like I wasn't expecting that at all because I was just expecting a very sort of st- straightforward traditional you know seventy plus year old movie. Mm-hmm. And then when it's the credits being handwritten off and then like wiped away off a chalkboard yeah. and like handwritten out again. Uh, yeah, I just was like oh this is not. Well, I, how I was expecting this would be to start. And then it opens with like a note from the director too to like sort of set the scene. Yeah, and it even... Do- Wait, Nick, Nick, does does that mean that the Napoleon Dynamite opening credits where they have it all written out in ketchup is also crack to you? Uh, it's like crack to me, but actual crack where it's bad. <laughs> and I was gonna say, yeah, Come no, on. no, it doesn't that doesn't work for me? Also, ketchup's kind of gross, but that's a subject for another time. That ketchup is disgusting. Yeah, that's a, that's actually does not does not help my uh, issues with Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite's the best. Oh, it isn't. Okay. Uh, but I also like <laughs> that they they have like the rolling Act One, Take One, and then he's like, cut. Oh, that was yeah. Awesome. This kind of breaking mm-hmm. the fourth wall. I like breaking the fourth wall just generally. Um, Yep. The guy Same. who slapped a chest like, mm. what? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, there's the preamble about children will believe what we tell them. They have complete faith in us, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, you know, the once upon a time. I just, ugh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use the yeah, word. As long as you say these, like, four magic words. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm going to I'm gonna try to not, like, purposely avoid using the word magical with uh, every single, like, scene that I described from this movie. But it's it's going to be hard. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Spoilers. It's in yeah, the it's in the Ebert sentence that I'm <laughs> that I'm gonna pull from later. Mm. So the movie uh, begins proper with some dudes practicing their archery in a very unsafe way. I gotta say, like yeah, <laughs> right by a window <laughs> that have people on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like right by a window, sort of in a crowded like house farmhouse kind of atmosphere and uh one of the arrows makes it into the house the people are uh, like it's it's um bell's sisters are already treating her poorly which is so that's di- that's something that's different from the disney version is in this she has more right. of a cinderella evil mm-hmm. stepsister sort of type evil. thing. Yeah, they, yeah. Are, are they even stepsisters? Are they just like regular sisters who are just I think they're rude? Sisters. There's normal sisters yeah, I think who they're are rude, like right? Proper sisters. Right. Yeah, but they they sort of gallivant about and they look down on her for being humble and mm-hmm. not not plain, just like taking care of the house. 
I, I love the way that that they make yeah. her do. Yeah. I love the way they're portrayed as just like this kind of like fake, elegant, like bougie people mm-hmm. who are who feel like they're high society, but really are just like n- nobody wants right. them, nobody likes them. They go to the city, right. but they first they have to like kick all the chickens out of their little <laughs> carts. Mm-hmm. I will say, good good animal check in, good uh, good addition to get another one of our films where there's just like. <laughs> ridiculous animals wandering around there's goats and chickens and all kinds of fun characters out there causing problems and we'll get to magnifique but magnifique is like a top tier uh, movie yes. animal definitely it's true uh so yeah the, agreed. the sisters basically are forcing bell to be their servant i i think the first mm-hmm. like visual flare that we see to the movie is when she's like scrubbing the floors and it starts to reflect her and i, I like the line that avenant says who's um it's her brother's friend mm-hmm. uh he says even the floor wants to be your mirror or something to that effect Mm-hmm. yep yep very uh I was gonna say charming, but he doesn't. He, even at the beginning, it's like he's trying to be charming, but I don't know. He he needs to dial it back a few notches. So that guy. He, it's. That's okay. Gaston. He he beats Gaston at least oh, at a right. contest. Right. Yes. He's not evil. Like he's just. I don't know. I don't know. He shot a dog. Well, almost. okay. Yeah, he takes a turn eventually, but. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to Gaston, who tries to have somebody committed against their will to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> to steal a woman. Yeah, I I had realized, like, with the sisters and the, the dad and the picking the rose from the garden, it was sort of, like, all came flowing back to me at once. Because I also obviously had, like, fairy tale books as a kid. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, the whole, like, again, the Disney version is not exactly the sort of standard fairy tale version of this story. And it was sort of kind of coming back to me, like, oh, right, there's there's other elements at play here. Yeah. It is pretty close, though, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the the wacky adv- wacky inventor father character is a little <laughs> bit of a Disney uh, convention. Yeah, and this father's a little bit kind of what is it? he? He like is a ship a shipper? He does ship ship selling. Yes, he yes, and and as so often happens um, in like old-timey stories like this tragedy befell the family and the ships were lost at sea and so now they are down on their luck and so they had money and now they're all sad because he had ships and then they were gone (laughs) he takes a bad investment yeah those dads those movie movie dads dads. Mm -hmm. so um avenant who i should mention like real briefly just because i think it's interesting and i it's one Mm -hmm. of those things where i don't know if I think this because I already know it or if mm-hmm. like I don't I don't think I'm reading too much into it though. So Jean Marais, that the actor who plays Evanant, was um Cato's lover mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, you didn't yes, know that? Yes. And <laughs> what? and also and also carried on for a while with um the actress who played Belle as well. He was he was just That I didn't know according what? to the Wikipedia page. Yes, he was uh, apparently. I was. I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to seem indelicate. But they were just all yeah, everyone bone in these folks. Yeah, <laughs> didn't or, yeah. was it was it her or French? Was <laughs> yeah, very sort of mid-century French Bohemian. Was it her who ended up marrying like a, a 
an arms trader or something like that? Or did I make that up? Did Maybe. I did I have a what? fever dream? <laughs> Anyways, uh, what I was I can't tell. <laughs> I'm gonna look into it. What I, what I was going to say though was I f- yeah. I feel like the movie is shot oh, with um like a, a male gaze towards Murray. Like I feel like oh yeah, the, the, the camera loves yes, him. Yes, yes, the camera is so into this mm-hmm. guy, and I don't think it's just me reading too much into I I know Cocteau, uh, and he were together. It mm-hmm. feels uh, pretty real, um, and he's he's great in this because uh, like the contrast between Avenant and the Beast is uh, he, he he's very. Um, did we lose Dylan? Oh, we did. Sorry, I was too busy looking at Wikipedia to notice that he... <laughs> I was trying to figure out who was sleeping with who, and then all of a sudden... All right, Dylan's back. <laughs> okay. So we, we have yet to solve who is hooking up with who is still Dylan. Uh, yeah. We'll just assume I'm, I'm gonna, everyone is with everyone. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a s- so, smart path to take. So very... I mean, I don't even know if this needs to go into the episode or not. Um, yes. But uh, Jean... Jean <laughs> Murray ended up having a, uh, like, I guess he was close personal friends with and potentially lovers with for a while, one of the sisters, not with Josette Day, oh, okay. with Mila Pirelli, so one of the sisters who was in the movie, just to correct the record, but he was, you know, getting it. <laughs> okay, so. I was going to say something worse than that, and then I didn't. Speaking of her, actually. All right, uh, regroup. One, mm-hmm. one of the... Um, bonus things on the criterion disc it's mm-hmm. um the two of them it's Murray and mila pareli um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it had to have been in the 90s so they're like I, th- I think it's it looked like it was in the 90s they're much oh they're much older yeah i saw i saw that on there but i didn't get to watch it the like conversation yeah so part of what it shows is them watching the scene um maybe like 20 minutes later in the movie when he slaps her mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. in 40, 50 years later, she's watching it and she's giggling. She's like really into watching this old performance of theirs. Mm-hmm. He looks mm-hmm. awful. And Aww. he just looks at her and he goes, <laughs> he goes, forgive me, uh, Mila. Aww. And she says, she turns to him and says, you said that after every take and held me in your arms. Which is like the sweetest. It's like this, That's so sweet. These two old sweeties. Oh, it, was, it just melted my heart. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So I, I love his performance in this because um, like we'll talk about the Beast's character, but the Beast, I think, mm-hmm. runs like like the far, the two far ends of like the emotional spectrum. And then Avenant is just like this cocky, like what, what I think is like ramped mm-hmm. up and gassed on to a degree that like takes me out a little bit because he's like so cartoonishly no. evil yeah i love his, gaston his, <laughs> um Gaston's he's especially gross. good at his spectorating he is especially Man, what good a at guy spectorating. that gaston yeah i mean you know it's one of those things that can work in a cartoon in a way that like would i mean it's horrifying enough in a cartoon that character in a live action movie would like not be appropriate for yeah. children it's barely appropriate for children in a cartoon <laughs> He's problematic. He does have hair covering every inch of his body. It's true. That's my favorite song. <laughs> it's good. It's a good one. So Avenant proposes to Belle, um, not in the most romantic way, but he he gives it a shot. She says no. 
because she needs to stay with her father. Um, mm-hmm. Which it seems like she, that was like her genuine response. Like she does like him, but she feels more um, obligation to her father than to her own happiness or to mm-hmm. being with Avenant, which is a very uh, late right. spring uh, mm. thing to do. Or 35 shots of Rome, I guess. And that's another sort of difference than, like, speaking of the animated version and Gaston, who Belle just could, like, not have any interest in. This is an actual guy in her life, her brother's friend, who mm. could be a real sort of future and, like, a husband for her. But she's just that much of a, you know, sacrificing for her father uh, that she won't, you know, can't go down that road. Yeah, I, I mean, I love the father-daughter relationship in both movies. That's something in, in mm-hmm. the Disney one that, that really works for me. But yeah, the, the, there's a little bit more um, like shades of gray in this as opposed to, of course, she's going to say no to Gaston. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, when the father returns, he's like asked his daughters what they want for gifts and all Belle wants, unlike mm-hmm. her greedy sisters she just wants a rose which really screws him over gotta say yeah yeah it's real unfortunate that that's what she I asks when he for. comes back and the sisters are like bell asking for a rose and getting her father kidnapped how right. could she <laughs> like the one th- the one thing you could have asked for anything else bell. right right so uh, the father mm-hmm. the father's on a uh, I guess a business trip of some sort and is uh-huh. riding home and gets lost and comes across a castle. And when he pulls up to the castle, is like, I think the second, like, cool technical effect that we see. It's where, magical. Yeah, he's, yes, it is magical. He stands in front of it and <laughs> his shadow, like, just grows and covers the. Oh, I was day. talking about how the, the like, the bushes literally oh that yeah back and then literally close behind oh that's so cool yeah i mean like everything about this place is it's the best incredible it's the best set designing Mm -hmm. i've ever Ever. seen i think um so you're bringing up the shot though with the shadow yeah um i want to talk a little bit about henri eleca i don't that's the worst french pronunciation but the cinematographer (laughs) Do you know know what else this man shot? Yeah, it's another. It's like maybe the second most movie I would describe as magical that we're going <laughs> to get to. The, yeah, yeah, that we're going to get to uh, like probably a year from now. But, <laughs> but at do some you know point, what in this else book. he did? I I looked it up. I can't remember. Those were the two, this and that were the two that like. Um, didn't he do Anna Karenina? He did do Anna Karenina, Vivian Leigh's Anna Karenina. He did William Wyler's Roman Holiday. Oh, that's right. He that worked was... again with Vim Vendors in The State of Things. He did Terrence Young's Red Sun. And he did Jules Dassin's Topakai, Tokapi, sorry. And then he also did Jean-Pierre Meville's uh, When You Read This Letter. So I've never seen that. I mean, I haven't he, seen a lot of those. He with, but. like, all the directors, though. That's that's an insane list of directors to work with. 
on the whole. Also, for a long time, yeah. since I just pulled up his filmography here, and his first movie's in 36, and his last one is in 1992. <laughs> so he was working, like, well, like, into his 80s. And here, from, like, so. Germany to France to mm-hmm. England to the United States. Um, yeah. We need to put up one of those, uh, this cinematographer shot Beauty and the Beast and Red Sun <laughs> or Tokopi. Yeah. Gonna get a lot of good engagement on that one. That's really gonna <laughs> go viral. I need to check out that Melville one though, because I I love the handful of Melville movies that I've seen. So I would love to are, see how. You would be a Melville guy. Yeah, I, I am a Melville guy, but I feel like their styles are so different. Like they're at least based oh, on yeah. this, based on this and uh, Wings of Desire. I I, I think the, like the two of them. I I wonder how well it goes um this is anyways. actually his least seen melville film on letterboxd i think of any of his main movies it doesn't have great so. ratings either eh. but it's melville uh, shot by this dude yeah so. uh <laughs> apparently the the light or the shadow um thing is a visual allusion to dryer's vampire which i don't remember that i do remember there being some shadow scenes and vampire I mean, where like the shadows move around but i don't remember that, that's the best i was gonna say i haven't even seen vampire but i feel like i have seen a shot where like the shadow seems to grow behind him but i've just seen clips of it so don't know so after the cool shadow thing he walks inside and coolest part of the movie coolest part of the movies in their entirety (laughs) is the candles are held by arms oh my god and as that's so cool it is posted right behind you jana on the zoom yeah they're the the the, the creepy handles are framing my head right now on my zoom background (laughs) i can't stop staring at them as he walks through the candles light by themselves Mm-hmm. by magic the it's the coolest uh-huh. thing in the world <laughs> and and even like you don't have to be a like a, a technical effects genius to figure out exactly mm-hmm. how they did it it's fine right it still looks incredible apparently mm-hmm. this is also from the bonus features they were trying to do this shot all day they had because they were like they had to time everything they had to time everything right. They had to blow everything out right. And it was done like backwards. So it was a little mm-hmm. bit complex. And after spending the entire day, Cocteau was just like, I'm bad luck. I'm cursed. We can't do this. I'm going to leave. Clement, you take over. So Rene Clement, who. I don't know if he directed yet at this point. I don't think he had. I, I meant to look that up. But he, he would later do stuff like Purple Noon, I think is his most famous movie. Um, he directed this scene, actually, because Cocteau just, like, was <laughs> cursed, apparently. He threw in the towel yeah. and said, I can't do it. Fair. Was he, like, the, the second director of the movie? Like, I think he's billed as technical director or something to that effect. Okay. Okay. So after walking through a few of these candles that light on their own, another hand on the wall just kind of points. 
That's so cool. And the guy walks. I, I, I love that image. It releases image. the candle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it releases the candle and then the hand. We're, but we're all acting it out, <laughs> which is great on a podcast. Um, but yeah, the way that like, and I watched the, speaking of the Criterion special features, there's like a little three or five minute interview with um, Guillermo del Toro talking about this movie and sort of its influence on his fantasy filmmaking it's the least surprising thing in the world right. to me that Guillermo del Toro loves this movie. <laughs> like that's, that's, I just can't imagine anything that makes more sense than that. And he talks about how, kind of like you were saying, it's not about like it being technically difficult. He says what makes it so magical and so important is the way that he demonstrates like the basic things you can do mm-hmm. to create these magical elements, like using just like shadows, you know, using light and dark and things to sort of create your special effects and that you don't need, you know, super advanced technical wizardry to do it. You just need, you know, creative ideas. Yeah, like the statues are just people. Like you see that on the street. <sighs> Love the statues. If, if you go to a big yeah. city, you will see those people <laughs> and they will yeah. try to scare your children. And you will, mm-hmm, and you will have yeah. to throw quarters, paint themselves yeah. in metallic paint, and <laughs> force you to tip them as they chase you down the street. And then yeah. they get jobs on uh, the girly show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is my entire association now. Is just uh, Danny from Thirty Rock having been a street robot. Um, have you guys ever seen um, Day of the Dead? The yes. the third Romero movie. There's a what? Yes, no, it the is third so one, no. underrated. I, I I think the night there's a nightmare scene that has hands coming out of the wall, which I think mm-hmm. is supposed to be a reference to the. Oh, I've I've seen that clip that, yeah. in like documentaries about horror movies and stuff. It's yeah, a there's a lot one. of hands in that movie in general, ripping oh, things open. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. These hands coming out of the wall are benevolent they're creepy without being scary yeah. you know like that's it kind of that's how i felt about everything in the castle because i was wondering while i was watching this like how a kid would react to this because like we were saying like in the del toro thing they talk about it being great for kids uh one of the awards listed on wikipedia for this movie is being on a bfi list of like most important movies to watch mm-hmm. before you turn 14 and while i was watching it i didn't think of it as a movie for kids despite some of its corniness but i guess it wouldn't be too scary but it's, it's a little creepy i you know those moving statues in particular would have yeah <laughs> would have gotten to me quite a bit when i was little i almost wonder if it'd be a little too slow for a kid i think yeah, that's maybe. probably the bigger issue is like i you know well the subtitles also yeah. are going to be tough depending on how little the kid is <laughs> and like i think it's a great scene but like there's that like maybe five to ten minute sequence of him just like following her around and just being like girl will you marry me <laughs> yes and i'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah. if i showed that to like a, a seven-year-old they'd be like <laughs> but Fair but enough. i think i, do I think, think that's like the bigger maybe like 12 13 i think it is like a good last movie to see before turning 14 yeah. like that. older child so and in terms of like toxicity, well, he's—I think he's much less toxic than uh, Disney's. Well, we'll get—we'll get to they—they they haven't even met yet. Yeah, he's a, yeah. We haven't even got to the beast yeah. yet, but he's yeah. He's a whole different. His attitude is quite different. Yeah. Um, I love the statues and the like. The, we see the first statue in this where he, it's just like a person painted 
like Danny from 30 Rock mm-hmm. and he like mm-hmm. turns his head and just like a, a huge like puff of smoke comes out when he <laughs> exhales and then the dinner table well, what really got- pours its own wine <sighs> yeah yep, all the arms on the dinner I table I love one of those yeah right that seems very handy so one of the the thing that I misremembered in a huge way from this movie was I thought the sister the the um like the, the stone things in that scene I thought the sisters mm. became that I'd have sworn that that's in the original oh. um the fairy tale that's what happens to the sisters oh really yeah yeah okay and therefore they, they be- okay, that makes sense they become statues but I th- I, I haven't read it but it, my understanding is they become statues but are still sentient, so they have to, like, watch her be happy. Which is... Yeah, anytime you go back to the original version of a fairy tale, it's always so brutally dark, and you're just like, oh, right. Yeah, this, have you, this has been desensitized over the years. Have you guys seen The Lure? I have not. It's been on my to-watch list for, like, two or three however many years now. Speaking of dark fairy tales yeah because they kind of go into the 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 real and and, could could not have put that a real little mermaid could not have put that in a cartoon no yeah the real little mermaid is one of the darkest Mm. like of the actual dark fairy tales um but yeah i had forgotten that even even like being the beast where our main characters get a happy ending the villains get cursed to like a truly (laughs) dark fate yeah, it's not exactly like, you know, the Disney death where, oh, no, someone, you know, trips and falls off a cliff and, mm. oh, well, these things happen. It's like, no, you are cursed for eternity now. Yeah. But that would have been cool in this movie. I would have liked that. <laughs> so the, the whatever, the table hand pours the wine for the dead. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He passes out, wakes up, decides to bounce. Uh, as he's walking around outside, he steps on a dead deer. And then he uh, sees his gift for his daughter, Belle. He plucks a rose. And at this point, the, the beast like just like pops out, basically, from behind the bushes. <laughs> yeah, he does. Okay, I have a question. Do you think no matter what the dad took, the beast would have been like, how dare you? That is my favorite thing. Now give me your daughter. I don't think so. I think he really likes roses. It's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I, I bought it too for some reason oh. that it really was just like it was just like Belle's curse that because she asked for yeah. the rose and if it had been anything else, but because it was the rose, it's fairy tale logic. Yeah, it, and it's also sort of like uh, well, one if we want to use just like straight logic, why wouldn't have he why wouldn't he have just got him like when he was drinking his wine or breaking into his house? Right. Uh, but like the emotional parallel is that Belle, of all the things like that she could have thought to ask for, she wants a rose. And then similarly, the uh-huh. beast, the thing that he loves the most is also roses. So it's something that they like have in common. Sure. So he's got to kill the dad. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> yep. yep. <'cause> he, <laughs> oh, well. Because he took a rose. Uh, but adds like, well... M- must you yeah so the beast uh gives him a little bit of time to um go home kind of like sort out his affairs and then come back mm-hmm. and he's like well if you have daughters like you could send one of them my way and the dad's like <laughs> yeah i wouldn't say no to that yeah. that'd work <laughs> um so he gives him 
magnifique or I, I think in the English it just translates as magnificent. But Yeah, I think so, magnificent. Yeah. But I like going with the actual name of Magnifique. That horse slaps. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good horse. Very good horse. Yeah. So when when the dad gets home, he explains the deal. He's got to go die because his kid wanted a flower. And and Belle, of course, says, I'll take your place. Yada, yada. And the dad's Mm -hmm. like, no, you're my child and I'm old. Just let me go. Yeah, yeah, logical. Which is like, you know, as he should. Good dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bell not having it, steals Magnifique, runs back, mm-hmm. and then we talked about it. Runs into the castle. Mm. Gorgeous. It looks so good. That was my favorite part of the whole movie. I just loved that entire sequence. And it it kind of like goes from just just like a beautiful slow motion of her running through that corridor and then up the steps mm-hmm. and then we get the i think it's called a double dolly or at least that's what i've heard it referred to as um because mm-hmm. spike lee does this a lot mm-hmm. um or they, I, I believe ebert mentioned in his review. yeah yeah and i think uh aronofsky's used it a couple times uh i know he uses it in requiem mm-hmm. for a dream Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. But it's another, like, it, it makes her look like she's floating. It's just a great mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about the mirror, because there are, uh, I think, contrasting mirrors between this and the Disney one. Mm-hmm. So the Disney one, my understanding of it is it just shows you, it's like a portal. You can see whatever you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Show show me what's happening with my dad, and then she sees terrible things happening with her dad. Yeah, yeah. It basically just yeah. It lets you view the outside world, Hmm. basically, in the Disney one. In this one, it's a little bit more personal, where it it reflects like what your heart wants to see. So when she looks in the mirror, Mm. she sees right her dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely had a toy Beauty and the Beast mirror. When oh I my was god really little. it was like a little hand mirror that i think i hit a button and it sort of like lit up was, yeah. uh it did not show you anything special it just uh was a sort of chintzy plastic <laughs> hand there should mirror. have also been a second button to let like a bunch of green things splurt out of it because that's what <laughs> it looks like right. in the animation yeah no just just you know so it wasn't used for like widespread Gee. surveillance of i mean Great question. Not to my knowledge. Um, no, I think it just like had a rose on it and you hit a button and it was pink. Um, but, you know, Disney in the 90s. Uh, yeah, this mirror is a little bit more oblique, basically, uh, because I have some questions about the mirror at the end and the images that it shows. Because at that point, I was a little confused. I have questions about that, too, and I think I understand it, but I'm not positive. Oh, great. So we'll get all right, when we get there, don't forget to explain to me what that bit was about. Because I was like, oh, I get it. And then it, the mirror showed something else. And I said, oh, no, I don't get it anymore. I have some question marks <laughs> on my word file. So we will. Okay. Great. We will definitely it's called get called magic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, she's, she sees the beast for the first time and passes out. And he, he escorts her to her room. And it's another, like, 
I don't think there's even an effect to it. It's just like she happens to be wearing a black dress, and the next time we see her, her dress is changed. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a, like they mm-hmm. did a costume change when, in, in between a cut. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it just feels... It looks cool. Yeah, it feels like you get the, the sense of that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of shows like how magical. Yeah. Can't... Well, even... Even when he's carrying her, too, you know, know, she faints in this very sort of stereotypical, ah, she's scared and overwhelmed and she faints. And then he picks her up and carries her. And, you know, she just seems, you know, weightless, basically. And kind of even though he's carrying her, it's like she's floating through, um, you know. And so it just it doesn't add to that whole vibe of it feeling very Mm -hmm. magical. So um, he tells her never to look into his eyes like when they first meet. She she tells him that there are men far more monstrous than you, which mm-hmm. to me, like really the only people that we've seen her deal with are like her father, who she loves her brother, who she seems to get along with mm-hmm. for the most part, uh, at least more yeah. so than the other sisters yeah. and Avonaut, yeah, Avonaut sure. who she seems to like. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. This is a general to- <laughs> topic of discussion. I was going to say, maybe she's just heard tell or she, or she has some very dark story in her past that we are not yeah, to, uh, hearing about. To me, it's it's not even like um, Belle saying it as much as mm-hmm. it's Cocteau, someone in France in 1946, like right after the war. It's, it's kind of sure. like an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of all of that right. um, rather than something right. like, like... There's a whole lot of... Yeah. Right. Men, men do evil in the world, and the fact that you look like a beast is not exactly the biggest problem. Yeah. So he tells her um, that makes sense. Kind of the the game plan, which is uh, the castle, whatever you want to do, it's up for grabs. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna eat dinner every night at seven mm-hmm. o'clock, and uh, sure, I'm gonna propose to you every night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. so. That's pretty much it. Heads up on that. This was around the place in my notes where I had just written, ooh, sparkly. Um, <laughs> because as soon as she gets there, well, as soon as she gets there and then she gets changed into her like princess type gown mm-hmm. that she's in at the castle and then his outfit. Like the costumes are so amazing in this movie. And especially we've talked before about how costumes for like a black and white movie, it's a whole different art form than for color because you're obviously can't be working with bright pops of color or anything but everything is so ornate and jeweled and it just has this like intense sense of opulence especially well, both of them really but especially his outfit it has like jewels draping all over it um and it just really gives this sort of fancy vibe to this otherwise slightly creepy <laughs> setting i'm trying to find if there's a color photograph anywhere Oh, that would be awesome. There's a bunch of like colored illustrations, you know, like paint the a version of the mm-hmm. poster that's painted and stuff, but I've never seen anything. No, I can't see Cuz I would be either. curious. Yeah. Um, get a bunch of but, I didn't know Leia Sedu was in a Beauty and the Beast adaption. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, but I did like this is so to to continue with the compare contrast. This is something that's very similar to the the Disney version as well. Not necessarily that I'm going to keep proposing to you, but just like you will dine in the dining hall. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it sort of comes back to that formal, you know, we will sit in the dining hall for dinner. Um, 
you know, conversation is one of the through lines, yeah, the, which I think is interesting. The Disney one, though, ramps up the stakes a little bit where, like, he has this kind of rose in the thing from the witch's curse and he has to yes. fall in love and have her fall in love by, mm. how, you know, three by petals. By his 21st birthday. Yeah, we talked um, about that. Which is something I picked up on this one. Yeah, that I'd never really sort of picked up on until this past rewatch. I'm like, wait, how long has he been a beast? What... How old was he when he was mean to this witch that yeah. she cursed him? If he's he? not even twenty-one 13. yet. Thirteen. <laughs> oh, he was, he was thirteen. Of course, she cursed like a preteen. Of course, he was mean. He was thirteen. Right. And she's an old lady. Right. Yeah. Like, have you guys ever met thirteen-year-olds? Yeah, had... They're fucking assholes. I had <laughs> never noticed that until literally this weekend, rewatching it this time, and it was Matt who was like, "Wait a minute." How much time's passed? How old was he? And I'm like, oh gosh, wait a minute. Now that's all falling apart. <laughs> I just, I had just never noticed. I didn't even know that was like a thing on the internet. I just blissfully had been like, I don't know. He was probably 18 then, and now it's probably his 25th birthday, right? I just had never noticed for the million times I'd seen the movie that it was mm-hmm. him turning 21. Ugh, children. 13s uh, are assholes, to be fair, though. Yeah, it's true. Um, one other thing that. Uh, like we might as well talk about it now uh compare and contrast wise is that this his place is magical but um i guess other than the statues like we don't really interact with the statues that much i guess avenant sort of no. does at the end um <laughs> you could you could describe it as interacting with the statues yeah. at the end sure he gets beaten. <laughs> shot in the back yeah. yeah, he gets yeah. interacted by uh, a statue. Yes, with, yeah. Um, boots. <laughs> yeah. It's far different than the the, the right. household or like the the, the manner of, of uh, the Disney right. one where it's all these people got... It's a cursed staff, yeah. yeah. Everyone so, had to pay because this 13-year-old? <laughs> yeah. Like the dog? Yeah. So here... I, I God, yeah. And the, in the actual child chip. Oh. Yeah. Um, but so in this castle, magic just exists, right? Like, that's the deal. It's mm-hmm. just magic. It's not that, like, oh, everything was totally normal and then the curse just made magic happen. Like, no, it's a magic place and has magic elements. Yeah. So I kind of like that as a in this version. So I'm, I'm going to just generally come up with a statement. And I don't want to defend it too much because... I feel like I'll get overrun here by Nick. Yeah. Um, I after rewatch, I one hundred thousand percent choose the Disney version over the cocktail version. Like, as a, like yeah. I mean the Disney the Disney version is Meh. one of my favorite films of all time. It was like my first favorite movie, but I don't know that like in terms of achievement in filmmaking, I'm gonna say. Although it does look pretty good. It, Watched it on Disney Plus. I think um, it actually has the best animation looked. cinematography of all time no. on this rewatch. No. It's interesting. Well, it totally sidetracked. It's interesting to watch it now, just because of the way it's made in like that '90s style, mm-hmm. where it's still the hand-drawn animation, but it's all the cell animation, and so she's like moving through the backgrounds. Like it's interesting to watch, and it's definitely at a transition period of animation, which I think is mm-hmm. makes it interesting. It uh, to to um, like put it in the scope of like its era, because uh, I think it was two years after um, Little Mermaid. It is yeah. it is mm-hmm. so much better looking than Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid is not a good looking yes. movie. It's only no. one year later than The Rescuers Down Under. Right, which I haven't seen in... That was, yeah, 
cheaply thrown into theaters. Yeah, I, I, um, I can't remember the visual like stylings of Rescuers Down Under. No, this I, I was I was impressed yeah. at the the visuals of this, especially since I've seen The Little Mermaid mm-hmm. a few times like more recently because Evie's watched that. But mm-hmm. in terms of like the Disney slate of movies, I I still think that. Um, Sleeping Beauty is like unfuckwithable in terms of. That's that's, that's my true. actual number one is Sleeping Beauty. Just of my childhood, it's Beauty and the Beast, but overall, it's it's Sleeping Beauty. Those I, I'm a sucker for the very traditional ones. Ha, have you guys music ever is, watched like analysis video? I mean, this is such a weird comparison. Analysis videos of like why the the Mad Max Fury Road cinematography is so good about how. It can make your eye follow things and yeah. Oh sure, I, no, but I've heard like I've like like read I, like, articles really about that. I like really noticed that like they did a great job in this movie of like directing your eye to things in the way they end. Sure. And um, anyway, the whole point of building up to saying that the Disney version <laughs> is much better is I will I will say I'll give I'll give the cocktail version this. Um, the the whole castle stuff is admittedly a lot better, and I love Lumiere and Coxworth. They 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 rock. Oh sure, but just... I do like the purely magical rather than like grumpy witch. He's like boom, you all are magic now, cursed. Yeah, it's so hard for me to compare them weirdly, even though they are the same story <laughs> with like so many direct elements. They're just they're very they're different. Different. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah. It's it's really hard for me to compare them like in an objective way of what I think is you know better um yeah they're just very different I was gonna say Nick so you said Evie's seen the the Disney one but I take it she has not <laughs> seen this yet this might be a bit much no she for... she hasn't even seen the Disney version of this she <gasps> oh she hasn't seen the Disney version no, she's oh, okay. seen so she's seen Little Mermaid she's seen Sleeping Beauty Lion King Aladdin um, and like the newer ones I, a number of times. I feel like if she's seen Lion King and if she's seen Lion King and Little Mermaid, I imagine she could she, handle the... She could handle this. Um, I tried putting it on. She's like, no, I don't watch something else instead. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I'm not going to okay. not gonna fight you over. <laughs> I'm not going to have a fight has with she, you about has this. Has she watched yeah. Mulan yet? I think we might have watched it like a year ago and she wasn't that into it. But well, dang. We'll try it again. She's been on. There's time. She's been on her Miyazaki kick recently. I'm trying to like roll yeah. with that. Yeah, sure. Which, speaking of, uh, oh. hold on, Dylan. So, what did you say had the best uh, animation cinematography? Was it uh, Spirited Away? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> American animation cinematography. Okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> World of Tomorrow. Ooh. Oh, Highlight. yeah. Breaking your that brain. might be a good call. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Back to uh, the magical beastly stuff. So no, yeah. yes. no, it is. It is a very good-looking movie. I was. I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised at how good-looking uh, the Disney version is, um, especially since I was like, "Oh, this is gonna look ugly," like The Little Mermaid does. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So. The beast goes snooping around. He breaks into a room. He's peeking around. She catches him, and he's like, oh, I uh, came to bring you a gift, uh, maybe? And he conjures a pearl necklace, <laughs> which is another cool effect. The pearl necklace, the, yeah. the next time we see it, is one of my favorite things in the movie. <laughs> that is yeah. hard rocks. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah, I love that. And then there's just some 
some moments of them like kind of wandering around. She catches him drinking from the pond like a, I guess like a cat. That was the best addition in this movie, I swear to God. (laughs) That he's kind of cat-like. He's kind of, his little, did you notice his little ears? Like Mm -hmm. his little cat ears kind of wiggled sometimes. Like I don't know, I don't know if those were like puppeted somehow or what that how that worked but every once in a while like he would make a face and his little ears would wiggle yeah. it was cute i like when <laughs> he wasn't the scariest when, of beasts whenever he got sad his ears would like go back and it reminded me of like mm-hmm. when my dog's like please feed me food right yeah <laughs> see this this beast getting sad is what like part of um like that bit of his characterization uh, is is like the thing I think that I appreciate the most of this in contrast to the animated one where he's just like he's like mean he's mean and grumpy whereas in this he's like mm-hmm. an emo beta <laughs> yeah he's just sad I, I did like that too I uh, seeing them in so such close contrast to one another did make me realize that it I think it works a little better if he's sad and tortured as opposed to sort of being tortured and mean and lashing out at everybody um because then you it's much more understandable that she would grow to have actual affection for him and it has less of the sort of like quote unquote problematic elements of her having to like tame him and like she can make you can make the mean man better and it's like so that this was a little bit uh less less problematic although like she's she is still like a prisoner i like ostensibly so he lets her go home for a week so so does the one in the 90s one though yeah yeah that's true yeah honestly like the the problematic business of these stories like it's a fairy tale i don't want to it's back to the fairy tales yeah Yeah. exactly that's not if you're going to tell the story that's just what it is right yeah i I don't want to kind of like cancel it no (laughs) and that's the thing I, i do agree that it's having the beast be so mean in the Disney version is very off-putting. But I like that it's not Belle having to be like, oh, even though he's a beast and he's imprisoning me, he's a good guy. And instead it's like the beast has to, he's the one that has to kind of give in in the 90s version. I kind of, I like that arc more than the other one instead of just, Oh, on the 1,767th time, he's like, will you marry me? Because he's dying in a pool. Oh, no, she'll marry him. Good. (laughs) Instead, it's like, oh, you know, I released you from from being my prisoner. We've gotten along. Like, I don't know. I, I prefer the development in the Disney version more in that way. But they're both still problematic. is very reliant on the like household servants, right? They're the ones who are having yes. to coax him and like yeah. teach him. And so it's, you know, it, it's just a different approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after she sees him drinking from the pond, uh, like the next time, I guess he drinks, um, she feeds him from her hands, which I think is mm-hmm. My little hands. That's very cute. Very cute. And he says, yeah, it was doesn't it repulse you? And she's, not repulsed by it i guess it's kind of nice mm-hmm. no yeah and then so it's at this point that she um asks to visit her father who's at home sick in bed um dying of a broken heart because he lost his daughter or something yeah she's just like breaking up breaking everybody's <laughs> heart here Oh, we've, we yeah. haven't talked about, yeah. like, he has this thing where uh, when he goes to hunt deer, um, 
Mm-hmm. He smokes afterwards. Not smokes like a, like, a cigarette. Like, yeah, not smokes, but like actually <laughs> emits smoke from his fingertips and body in general. Yeah, it's weird. It's so insane. I, they had to be what, smoking when they were making that scene. Honestly. Was there... Like, that's one part of the movie where I worried if maybe I'd miss something, if I'd, like, looked away from the screen, like, when there was an explanatory piece of of dialogue, um, if it sort of gave any sort of explanation for why that happened. I don't know. It looked cool. Yeah, I don't know why he smokes. I think we're supposed to piece together on our own that, like, we see the dead deer earlier, and the next time we see a deer, he's, Mm -hmm. like, clearly distracted. So I think we're just supposed to put together. It's just, like, his animal instincts or something. Yeah, like... Like Animalistic when we nature. see him after he's hunted, he's like covered in blood and smoking, and we're supposed to, I guess, just kind of yeah. like put put two and two together, and he's he's uh, mm-hmm. like that. That is the the opposite side of this, as opposed to the sweet, sad beast we know. Here's like the the actual beast like sure. side of him. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, he he says, "Yeah, you can go. By the way, I've got this place. It's called Diana's Pavilion. Um, you can't go in. I can't go in. Nobody can go in. Here's a key in case uh, you need to go in. Right. <laughs> Which I just take this key. I rewound that scene three times because I swore I had missed a line that explained why he gave him the key. She he gave her the key after she was like, you're not allowed inside." Doesn't he but say no. it? He says it's to prove I trust you yes, or something. But yeah. It's like, I, I prove I trust you by giving you this key where you'd go in and get killed. So. Well, yeah. I, I told you not to go in. I'm giving you the means to go in, but I trust okay, you. Okay. That, uh, that, yeah. that makes a right, that's, more sense. That's but, kind of it, I guess. It's kind of like a test, maybe. But it's also, he also says, like, if uh, you don't come back in time, I'm going to die. And if right. that if yeah, that happens if that happens, uh, you know, feel free to use this key to go in there. There's lots of there's lots of good loot in there. Right. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like twofold, but yeah, I think it is mostly like a. I don't know if it's a test is or or just like he's this is like a it's like a symbol. gesture. It, yeah, it's the symbol of his um, like. It's like a show of good yes. faith. Yeah. I guess exactly. more than a test. Exactly. It's a show of yeah. good faith. Yeah, I don't think it's a mm-hmm. test in the way like oh, you haven't seen Diner. Uh, in which no. there's <laughs> not yet, but I'm going to, and I'm going to love it. And Dylan's going to be mad. In about which it. there's a literal test, which is going to say sure. problematic, but kind of funny. Speaking of problematic, yeah, you could uh, rewrite diner as just problematic <laughs> as a word word title. <laughs> I've never seen popcorn right. used so problematically. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I'm trying to think diner. like. Could could popcorn be used more problematically? And I think more problematically. I than think that? they've kind of like Probably reached peak not, no. peak uh, misuse <laughs> misappropriation. <laughs> Sorry, God, Nick. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if anyway. that was intentional or unintentional, but I, I I don't know which way I prefer it. Sorry. All right. Anyways, so um, he gives her. Dylan's favorite thing, apparently, which is the transporting glove. And uh, mm-hmm. glove's cool, cool glove. <laughs> she, she pops Whoop. out of the wall. Whoop. Yeah. Which I I can't believe I didn't remember that, but that's the coolest thing. It's, Loved it. it's. Have you guys seen um Cocteau's movie Orpheus? 
Yeah. No. I was just reading about it earlier today when I was reading about him, though. Sounds cool. It's cool. I don't like it as much as this, but, um, like, maybe my, other than the the hand candle things, um, maybe my favorite effect Mm -hmm. of his is similar only. It's, like, they use a water as a mirror that you can walk through. And that 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 effect oh, cool. reminds me of this effect. It's it's really really cool. So, <coughs> is or, is Orpheus in any of his books? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. It's not in this one anyway. It'd be awesome to do an Orpheus Black Orpheus double feature pod if it is. Have you guys seen Black Orpheus? I have not. I saw it a couple months ago. That was that was a solid movie. Good movie. So when she gets home, um, she, like, dad's happy to see her. She tells him that the monster's actually good. He's not, like, mistreating her. She starts crying diamonds, which is pretty cool. And I think that's yeah. that's supposed to be, like, another symbol of, like, his affection for her. And her purity. Yeah. Uh, I can't hear Jana again. Can yes. you hear me now? Okay, just making sure it wasn't my okay. Zoom this time. <laughs> I muted myself twice. No, I muted myself twice. Um, no, I really, I loved the diamonds, um, and I really in particular like that she basically says, this is a gift, you know, that he's given to me. Yes. And, um, and then tells the father, it's for you, and basically, for the love of God, do not give them to my sisters, because they will <laughs> waste them and ruin everything. And they do when the pearl necklace <laughs> comes back. She she tries to give it to her sister because mm-hmm. she's a big pushover. And it just what is it? Sure is. Does it turn into like burnt hair? Like what was it supposed to be? Yeah, I, mean, so, I thought it was rope, but or yeah, it just transforms into yeah garbage basically. And I, I love the sound of it when she drops it, and it just like clangs on the floor back as mm-hmm. pearls it's just a gorgeous sound effect yeah so Avenant wants to kill the beast the sisters mm-hmm. uh trick bell into staying and they steal mm-hmm. the key to uh diana's pavilion mm-hmm. um we see the beast during this time he's starting to get a little more mopey and emo a little weaker he's, yeah seeming he's probably listening to the cure a little bit more <laughs> sure has, has that look on his yeah. face um he's getting really into mcr to what <laughs> my chemical romance oh, right. mcr i guess that, that would be more of my generations yeah I th- yeah, I don't think I think the cure is not my generation. I'm not quite that old. But no, I was a, no. I was an old soul as a emo child. I was still getting like radio airplay though. You know when we were we were teens. But no, not not that old. Yeah. No, not not teens in the eighties. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. <gasps> so the beast um, sends Magnifique for Bell, but Avenant and mm-hmm. Bell's brother steal him to go back to the beast's castle mm-hmm. and then uh, like i think it's at this point when the sisters also steal the mirror 
Yeah. And was this the question that you was, had about like what? Yes. <laughs> what What are yes. they seeing? What was happening there? Yeah. So two things. One, very quickly, um, the when before they steal Magnifique, the shot of them like hearing a noise and then seeing Magnifique coming up the road. Very cool. Good horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love that one shot of like a horse by himself. Yeah. But then, so then they split up and the sisters get the mirror and they look in the mirror and they see two things. The one sister sees herself as an old lady, right? And then the other sister sees herself as a monkey. So like, here's, and that's when I totally was like, I thought I knew what was happening and I no longer know what's happening. So what I think it is, it's funny. Do you guys remember the animal? Like when the girls are asking for gifts, they ask for pets. Does either one of them ask for a monkey? Do you remember? Don't remember. Because I think the one seeing the old lady is not her as the old lady. It's the other person as the old lady. Or maybe Belle is an old lady. Oh. And the other one sees okay. a monkey because okay. she wants a monkey. That's, okay. that's the best but I could. But I couldn't. Come. They seemed kind of horrified. <laughs> but they didn't seem happy at what they were seeing. They seemed alarmed at what they were seeing. I don't, and so I couldn't tell. I don't quite know. I have... Uh, mirror one sister is an old lady the other is a monkey question mark question mark mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's the best I can come up with but I I don't know maybe she and thinks I she's a monkey th- yeah the and the internet does not seem to Explain give this. any explanation no of that it just passes right by it so <laughs> we may never know <sighs> So when Belle looks into it again, she does see the beast. And I think it's at this point that she realizes that yeah. she loves him. Like, because before she was seeing mm-hmm. her father, because he's the person that she loved the right. most. And now it's mm-hmm. showing the beast. So I think it's yeah. before even she sees that. Well, I guess she does see that he's dying. But it's before she's like with him as he's dying that, that she. um, mm-hmm. It's her seeing him. Yeah. She she has to know that she or she has to love him before she can see him at that point I think right before so yeah I I I thought of it that way too that she comes to that realization it's not just that oh now he's dying and this is what how she feels or what she's saying yeah. in response to him being near death she'd already realized it yeah so uh, she teleports back there with the old uh, glove mm-hmm. good old glove yeah. Glove. One of the better gloves. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other. Uh, oh, it's a good glove. Neither of you watched uh, Twin Peaks season Plus three. Jewels. There's a great. No. There's a a top top five cinematic if we count that as a movie, which I don't. But whatever. Sure. Um, glove <laughs> in the, I think the second to last episode. Interesting. It's it's interesting. Quite fucking weird. Fair. <laughs> uh, where where does Thanos' gauntlet rank in the cinematic glove canon? I will I will say this glove had a bit of sort of a Thanos' gauntlet yeah. look yeah. to it. Yeah. Because it had it was very jeweled, it went all the way down the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like putting it in the reality stone and then she's able to transform. Sure. Exactly. I mean, in terms of, you know, just power, it's it's up there. <laughs> yeah, in terms Splashy, of like uh, it's colorful, you know. Whatever. Cultural cachet and actual cachet right. impact to shore yes and she, she snaps and 
Avenon. Everyone yeah. else dies. There you go. Yeah. She is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, Avenon, before he gets snapped, um, he kicks in the <laughs> roof to the pavilion. Yeah. That, like, stressed me out when he kicks out all the glass. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're going to go in there and you're going to get all cut up. But broken glass stresses me. So wasn't the key to get into the pavilion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they I think it's so. a trick, which is so funny. Yes. Yeah. They think they think using the key is going to be a trap, so they just decide to break in. Yeah. <laughs> They're not the smartest no. couple of guys. So if wait, he... wait, Janet... How do you do with mm-hmm. Die Hard, then, if you're not big on broken glass? Yeah, no, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I like Die Hard fine. But, no, I do in terms of, like, I don't like seeing people hanging, and I get very stressed out by people having to squeeze through, like, broken glass. And ugh, just, mm, yeah, not not for me. Interesting yeah. to know what, what gets Janet. <laughs> <laughs> what to torture me with? Yeah, exactly. Hey, no one hung in this movie. How's that going for us? Yes. Yeah, I mean, somebody <laughs> was hanging from something and then they got shot. <laughs> that's that's true. Which, and he wasn't hung by the neck. Yeah. Uh, but So yeah. I'm okay with it. I like vividly remember when I saw this movie for the first time and I was probably in seventh grade. I was, it was a long time ago. Uh, when, when that statue turned and I realized it was going to shoot Avenant, I, I was mm. in a... So I... I don't really know what the heck I was doing with my life at this point, but I was at a, I was taking summer classes at this place called the Albuquerque Academy, which is like one of the biggest private schools in um, uh, my city. And it had a lot of like summer programs and stuff. And what one of them I just took was called library hour, which was you could just go in the library and do whatever the hell you wanted for an hour or so. Cool. And usually I would just go in there and watch movies and not read any books. <laughs> and if I got any books, I would just check out movie books because I was really obsessed with movies. Um, but when that, that statue turned around and was going to shoot him, I audibly went in the library. Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah. That's a cool moment. It looks really yeah. good as soon as the statue turns and you're like, oh, oh no. And then, yeah. She's going to get it. Yep. Yep. And he does. Yeah. And not, not only does he get shot and like killed, but he gets shot, beasted, and killed. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where the sort of payoff comes to the the having the one actor play yeah. Avenant and the beast and the beast's human form, which knowing that from the beginning that that was going to be the case, I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting choice. You know, I guess thematically there'll be some reasoning there. I did not think. <laughs> that it would actually be a plot point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it didn't occur to me that she would literally say, huh, you look like my brother's friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, You look like the guy okay, that we talked so about before. That who... she dug that. Right. It, it is. It was very strange. I, I didn't see that coming. And then he's kind of like, is that a problem? And she's like, yeah, no. Like, she's kind of sorting like, out yeah, how she feels like about it. it. Which, I'm like, I don't but really like so, that at all. That was so creepy. Is it, I mean, it's kind of a reflection on... So they have the line that says, like, basically, love can make men into beasts. And this, maybe the reverse is impl- implied that, like, love can make beasts into men. I don't know. Um, but I, I was I still wasn't quite sure if it's supposed to be commentary on how, like, 
they're all the same and it, this could have ha- you know what's what's the difference and the situation turns one man from a man into a beast another from a beast into a man um, but I was just fascinated that the movie actually spent some time yeah. Go- going into that that literally yeah. yeah and I feel like yeah. also like if if we talk about like the era that this came out like just after uh-huh. World War Two, you know they'd been at France is just out of a war that they'd been in for like almost a decade right um, mm-hmm. I think that that metaphor of like men and beast um, mm-hmm. goes pretty well. There's something also in the com- mm-hmm. in yeah. one of the commentaries that the guy says is that the way this movie is shot is that the um, the humans are all like very, like good looking and they're well lit and they're well shot, but mm-hmm. they're bad people as opposed mm-hmm. to the. Sure. As opposed to the yeah. beast, who um, is like incredibly dark. Apparently, they had like trouble lighting him because because it's so like the beast oh. is so dark. I have this problem. Right. I have this problem taking pictures of my dog who's black. Like I can never get good pictures of his face sure. unless I'm outside. They say they say that's why black dogs and cats don't get rescued as often because it's harder Whoa. to take cute pictures, cute pictures of them. Yeah. It's it's a whole that's a real thing that like it's hard for rescue organizations to get people to adopt black dogs and cats because it's harder to take like a cute expressive photo. They're just kind of like you know, <laughs> a black mass and and that's sad, it's sad. That's yeah, it is sad. <laughs> it is very hard to take good pictures of my dog though, like for that very reason. Um like outs- outside is pretty easy. I do want to compare the 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 transformation though to the the 90s one um because again i like the way the 90s one did it a lot more (laughs) because i think it's i i like that in bell's character in that one she sees him and she's like who the fuck are you and it like she has to accept oh it's this person that like i grew to accept that is now this normal man Rather than like, oh, you look like my brother's hot friend that also kind of abused me and my brother and tried to steal all these riches. I don't know. But then she also says she was in love with, he asked, like, were you in love I, I with Avanon? And she's all. like, yeah. It's like, I, okay. That, that, that's, I didn't like it. See, here, here's what I like about her reaction is that um, she seems disappointed when, and, and like, not only does mm-hmm. he, become like this prince charming type character but and maybe this is just like my taste of hairstyle but he he looks better (laughs) he looks better as the prince charming character than he does with avenant's hair i think where he looks kind of where he looks kind of like um uh what kind of dog is uh uh, lady from lady and the tramp like his 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 hair has like those like fluffy ears Mm -hmm. Uh, type look to him right. so he, he looks he looks I, better as the prince charming but regardless th- it's, although that outfit by the way the prince charming outfit with like his tights so and like weird. the little sort of like froofy very yeah. sort of old school french prince outfit was something Into it. which i felt fa- i found it interesting <laughs> that in in the 90s beauty and the beast with the the human uh beauty looks a lot like avenant asshole version the same like really long flowy hair mm his hair looks so different. Like I, it's more like just like curly kind of mm-hmm. on, when he's the, the prince. Uh, but yeah, he has this like very sort of the the difference in energy between the beast <laughs> and the prince version is is to me the funniest part mm. because the the beast was so morose, <laughs> and then when he's just like I'm the prince, 
I'm cool. I'm hot. Like, All right. He bounces back real fast. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. So he is no longer tortured. I, I don't mind it. Here, here's what I, I like about her reaction is that, um, like, d- despite all that, like, he, he looks, I think, like a better looking version of the guy that mm-hmm. she already liked. Um, but she's mm-hmm. disappointed because he's not the person. Like, that is not the face that yeah. she fell in love with. She fell in love with the beast. Like, um, right. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, if you do a Freaky Friday thing, you're still going to be like, you're going to find it jarring at first, but then she like gets on board. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's a, a quote yeah. in the Ebert book that's attributed to Marlena Dietrich, um, but I've seen in two other sources. One was in one of the commentaries, and I think um, I think I saw uh, that maybe it was Sheila O'Malley, the writer, um, had referenced this, because okay. uh, two other people attribute it actually not to Dietrich, but to Greta Garbo, and the quote's a little bit different. The quote that they have was that when they saw it, when they were watching it, like at a screening in the theaters, when um, the uh, the Beast becomes Jean Marais, the Prince Charming, Greta Garbo said, give me back my Beast. Which I like. Nice. Which is, which Actually, is kind is of that, like I mean, Belle's the... reaction. Right, so that's the sentiment in the movie. That's obviously what he was going for in that scene was that that was the feeling you wanted to have, which was, wait, who's this guy? Why is he here? (laughs) Yeah, the quote in the Ebert book is uh, attributed to Marlena Dietrich saying, where is my beautiful beast? Uh Um, (laughs) Which is funny. When I was in high school, I I was dating a girl and we were talking about Disney movies and she said at least for like the 90s Disney movie, she thought uh, Beast was like the hottest thing. And that human beast was super ugly with his long hair. Oh, she thought the beast was handsome, not human prince. Yeah, she was like beast. super into beast. And then, <laughs> then would she became, Prince Eric Erasure is what this is. <laughs> this is she would have. I guarantee you, she would have been into Robin Hood, the fox. Right there, you she, go. Was, yeah, she was into Mufasa and Scar. <laughs> and Scar, the, like Mu- Mufasa and Scar, I feel like those are t- like, despite both being lions, could right. not be more dissimilar. <laughs> right, Mufasa is very. Uh, I'm doing a hair. I think thing. it was yeah. the voices Eagle. for both. To be I mean, fair. probably. Oh, I mean, that's, Jeremy that's Irons fair. and yeah. James Earl Jones are like the two best voices. Two of the best. Yeah, yeah two of the best. She, she, to be fair, she also did really like Prince Eric, but right. at least right. when that's, it came to Human sense. Beast from. Uh, Beast Beast. She was like, Beast Beast is so hot, and Human Beast is ugly as fuck. Can we, one thing about, this is a dumb tangent, but um, in The Little Mermaid, the whole plot of the movie is like, Ursula wants to steal Ariel's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, yeah. his, Ursula never heard a recording of herself sing. Why would she want Ariel's voice? I know, voice right? Yeah, she great. Like she right? has the best voice. <laughs> My God. Right. Yeah, it's it's and she already has the power to go and make herself beautiful apparently, so she could have it all if that's really just what she was going for. Yeah. There's, there's the some best. there's some open questions there. Yeah, she didn't she did not think that one through because she should have just stuck with what yeah. she was doing, worked out just fine. Right. Also, tangent like not to go no further than this <laughs> down this tangent, but th- that movie is way more problematic than Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, uh, just oh, in yeah. general, like yeah, in terms of lessons and and plot points and yeah, I mean fairy tales are going to be what they are. But between those two, I think Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. is. A, I I think yeah. both. I mean, I have like a preference between the two arcs that they between the both arcs. 
But mm. I think they both, I mean, all fairy tales are going to be really problematic, but I think mm-hmm. each adapts it in its own way to make it modern in the sense that it's not super fairy tale yeah. problematic. Sure. That makes sense. Because, like, is, is it in the original one? It's like, it's got the story arc of, oh, beauty just needs to accept beast, but also the the Disney level of the beast being, like, a total violent douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it combines, I mean, like, the no worst aspects of both of the storylines. Yeah. Not, how how not does great. the uh, Bill Condon one, like, deal with that? Oh. <laughs> just had, whatever had, bad way is... Had to I, bring it in. Yeah. Just a little. All the bad ways. Oh. Um, yeah. I have to, made it this far. Did you guys ever see the... So I have never seen it, but like I said, I watched um, the Lindsay Ellis. Uh, Wait, you've never seen the 2017 Beauty and the Beast? The Bill no, Condon no, no, no. I've, seen, I've seen the Bill oh, Condon oh. one. Oh. Uh, oh, I have never seen Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Have any of you guys seen... No. <laughs> Okay. No, I did not watch any of the terrible holiday no, direct-to-home spin-offs. I'm a grown-up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, no, I actually have seen the, the holiday uh, Frozen special. Well, sure. And my fucking God, it's awful. It's bad, yeah. <laughs> it's very it's, bad. But yeah. in, in this Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas, one of the things Lin- Lindsay Ellis talks about is the Beast gets super angry with Belle and locks her in a prison. And Belle's like... All I want to do is make you better, Beast. Mm. While yeah, she's in the prison, really I was like, leans, "It really Whoa. leans into, yeah, cool." They didn't have the 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 touch or thought of adapting <laughs> yeah. problematic literature in the the straight to DVD yeah. version. Yeah, yeah. So really, all all they have left to do at this point in the oh. story is. Um, Jump away to his kingdom where she's going to be a queen and great final yeah. shot. And the dad can come too. The sh- final shot's amazing. Yeah, like that. Speaking of things I didn't see coming, and then they just jump into the sky and fly away. All right. The way I they like it. the way they did the leap apparently is like obviously it's them jumping onto the ground and they just reversed it. Mm-hmm. But apparently they had to jump from like twelve feet high, so they used a stand-in for her. <laughs> twelve feet's too f- fair. Twelve feet that's is good. too far to jump. Like twelve feet's too high. No. Yeah, that's too high. <laughs> Yeah, they talked a lot in the, um, obviously, that shot and then the pearls also mm. are some really good use of just, like, reversing yeah. film. And that's one of the examples Del Toro gives about how, you know, you can use very basic techniques to sort of make magic happen. And I loved both of those elements. Just, like, it doesn't be fancy. We Your mind can put it together that, you know, <laughs> they can fill in the blanks. Sure, they're jumping that high in the air. It works. Yeah. But, like, we can do that with CGI, too. Yeah. So <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't. I don't want people jumping from twelve feet high and potentially like shattering their knees. Yeah. So <laughs> I really hope that the actress didn't have heels in that shot. Uh, they didn't yeah. have. They had someone do it for her, but I assume it was like a, a female stunt woman or something. So it's. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's that much better. It's. <laughs> that it's better, still twelve yeah. feet. It just. Someone more expendable. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> um. So I've got an Ebert quote, and then I've got another um, Arthur Knight quote. Uh, so my Ebert quote is just him. It's in the first paragraph. He says, it is one of the most magical of all films. And I think that it is maybe the most magical of all films. Um, and then, Okay. You called me out on Spirited Away, Erisher. 
mm-hmm. like 30 minutes ago. Come, come, Nick. You think Spirited Away, are you saying you think Spirited is Away magical? is more magical than this film? Yeah, this, nothing's uh, more magical than Spirited Away. This is second. This can be second. <laughs> I, I like Spirited Away better than this, but I think this may be more magical just with the, the technical Heresy. effects of it all. Um, mm. is that's I'm just so charmed by it. I don't know. <laughs> I still I I like Spirited Away better, but it, like at this point, this is this is up there for me. So we're we're like really just splitting hairs. Um, mm. so this is uh, I I actually like typed this all out. It's from one of the commentaries by uh, someone named Arthur Knight, who um, I know nothing about him other than the fact that he did one of the commentaries, but. Um, he was asking a rhetorical question of, you know, John Cocteau is like this famous, you know, uh, he was an artist, I think, and a sculptor and a poet, and he'd done plays and yada yada. So why would Cocteau, this person, do uh, what he, he is like quoting people as saying, why, you know, why would he do such anti-intellectual twaddle? Uh, and Knight says it's an... A- an affirmation after more than five years of war, occupation, and degradation that we were still human, that the values of the past still exist, that kindness and goodness will still win out. You don't need symbols or psychoanalysis to explain this. Just a simple tale told beautifully that everyone can remember and respond to. And uh, that's uh, that's how I feel. Like it's, it's pretty good. It you don't have to, it's you don't have to go like too hard on like this represents this and this does that and like what is the candle mean and blah 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 it's just you know it's like these people and they were nice and they ended up with each other and we feel good about it necessary paddington 2 shout out as we always do (laughs) in this podcast sure Sure. yeah makes sense Mm -hmm. what quotes uh from roger did you guys have uh, there were two little just sort of almost tidbits that stuck out to me. Um, one was when he d- uh, describing, he says, the beast dwelling is one of the strangest ever put to film, Xanadu crossed with Dali, um, which I thought was a really good descriptor. And then on a sort of uh, sweeter note, I really like how he wraps up his essay at the end where he quotes uh, a journal entry from Cocteau talking about how he, um, you know, how he's struggling making the film and he imagines the, his, the unknown friends who will hear the lines. And then uh, Roger says, we exist. His film has made us friends. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> and kind of vibes with sort of like Nick was saying, the sort of purpose of this movie, which is like weirdly, not weirdly, but like very empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you, Dylan? I actually had... uh, My quote was like two sentences after yours. (laughs) So, its devices penetrates the usual conventions of narrative and appeal at a deeper psychic level. Cocteau wanted to make a poem, wanted to appeal through images rather than words, and although the story takes the form of a familiar fable, its surface seems to be masking a deeper and more disturbing currents. I thought that was good, too. Pretty good. Um, I I want to do one more wrap up discussion comparing um, the '90s version to this because I want to make mm-hmm. the I I didn't get to but I wanted to make my main point of why I like the '90s version more, just just mm-hmm. so Nick can hear it at least. Sure. 
I don't dislike the '90s version. I think it's pretty good. I just don't, uh, you know, have it in like my top echelon of animated films. That's that's fine. Um, I really like the way the um, villagers, or I guess mainly it's her family, are portrayed in the '90s version more than this. And I think it's not worse in the '40s version, but each of them has their own thing. And in the 40s version, it's the greed of humanity. And in the 90s one, it's the otherness of humanity. And I think given the idea that it's a story about a beast, about the other, literally, and Mm -hmm. trying to change from that, I find, weirdly enough, it's it's by far not like the best song in the movie, but the the, uh, Gaston song, when uh, the Kill the Beast song, the kill the beast yeah. yeah when this whole movie gaston sees um weird bell as this this other that he needs to marry because mm-hmm. she hot and his father and her father as a weird other that's like just creepy and not doesn't fit into society and is this as soon as it switches to him realizing that there's an actual beast he's like we need to kill this thing immediately and he gets literally the whole town behind him in like two seconds like i found that a very accurate portrayal of xenophobia that i i i I just i prefer that more than like oh there's these assholes that want some jewels as a beauty and the beast defender can i make a counterpoint sure go for it i feel like that element's kind of just ripping off Frankenstein I mean it's sort of right I feel like it's just sort of taking that the the sort of literal pitchforks and fire element of getting the town I I don't uh, disagree ripped up against Frankenstein and putting it into Beauty and the Beast and I agree with you that it totally works I I, I think just being a film about the other making the main antagonist conflict being about being against the other is better in this story rather than just I want the money in this version, they don't, they're, I mean, yeah, they're scared of him because he's the beast, but he definitely, the otherness is a lot less of a conflict. Yeah, they like just they're, kind of they're not that, they're, Right, exactly. He, it, it's less relevant. Well, I think they also go, like, Avenant clearly wants to kill him, like, on Bell's behalf, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. He thinks, yeah, that it's gallant to do it. He's just got to get that money first. Mm-hmm. yeah no i mean i yep. like intellectually i guess uh i i see the argument for that but it it sort of didn't work for me like the the townspeople all like get it rallying behind gaston a bit of frenzy yeah yeah I, and i don't know why maybe it's just because i find like gaston so like i god i don't want to use the word cartoonishly um because like, <laughs> well because it's literally, literally cartoonish <laughs> He, he's like a little bit too over the top as a villain, whereas I think Avenant's a little bit more interesting because he's like you. You can see what his point is. Like she did get kidnapped by right. a beast. Yeah, mm. yeah. As opposed to Gaston, like is doing just like some of the most abhorrent things that uh, any Disney villain has done. Yeah. Like maybe bad the, guy. Yeah, like maybe the most abhorrent things to the point where like it's it's like a little bit too much i think yeah is it worse than scar murdering his brother and pinning it on his child nephew yeah 
I mean, that's, you know, nature. That's, you know, animal pride. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't done that? Was it oh. uh, right. Claudius? <laughs> Is it, is it Claudius? Wait. Also, we one hundred. We also one hundred percent don't have time to talk about how ridiculous it is that, like, I guess he's a child, but that uh, Simba would th- like couldn't come back and just say there was a stampede. My father was killed. Like we live in this, you know, Serengeti, and instead it's like I murdered my father. Huh. I like the Lion King, but come on. I, I okay. do think the Lion King like goes downhill after the stampede and everything. The rest of the movie kind of falls apart a bit after that, but so I kind of get you. But then you get to Moon and Pumbaa. Oh, like it's fun right. and it, it's entertaining, but I just don't think it lives up to that first half. That first half <laughs> rocks. I hadn't seen I haven't seen Hamlet in like quite a while, but it, it is Claudius. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I, I had yeah, the character. I, right. <laughs> You're like I want to make sure I have my Shakespeare facts yeah, correct. I don't want to. Fair enough. Get made fun of for not. <laughs> Not knowing which one. Um, Not having Hamlet knowledge. Fair. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm going to go thumbs up. Oh, thumbs up. Dylan? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. What about yes. stars? Jan, I'll send it to you first. Um, it's a three and a half out of four for me. Um, really good. Really blown away by the production design. Um, wasn't like super emotionally overwhelmed by it, but was very... Very impressed, and probably we'll watch it again. So, looking forward to that. Dylan, how many stars are Dylan? you? Dylan? <laughs> um, I'm really teetering between three and three and a half. And basically for the exact same re- reasons Jana gave, which is just, mm-hmm. it looked gorgeous, but I never invested or, like, really got into the story as much, especially because I'd watched the Disney version, like, a couple hours before. And <laughs> I... I I, this might just be nostalgia, but I just really got into the Disney version. Um, I think I'll probably go through three, but um, very good movie. It's so it look it just it looks so good. It's yeah. ridiculous. Looks amazing. Nick, I'm going for. I mean, I I knew I was going to go for like even before yeah. <laughs> even before no even before like watching it. I was like I like I could not wait to watch it again. I love this movie. Um, it I I do like really. Uh, feel emotionally invested in this and it's it's one of those like you know how sometimes you like watch a movie and afterwards you're just like you're on cloud nine you're just like happy that you got to see a movie like that like i remember mm-hmm. uh after watching little women in theaters i was just like oh like, like the, the yeah, whole like the best feeling. that evening and the whole next time just like oh what a good movie like that's how i feel about this i'm just like mm-hmm. oh it's like it just makes mm-hmm. me feel nice so uh it, it's a it's it a sense. it's a clear four for me i love the crap out of this movie it's like probably top got to be top 50 at least for me mm. nice interesting yeah i love it um yeah and we're, like we were saying online it doesn't it's it's like on paper it doesn't feel like a nick movie no yeah no it's not it's, nearly yeah, bleak it's enough. so like sweet and no it's not bleak at all I like, like some sweet movies i've got paddington 2 and singing yeah. in the rain and that's true that's true come and see it, it, it is very st- I, I think of nick's movies as also being very stylized and i think this movie kind of has that's true. It, really it is good it, yeah. it's very it has visually. some of, some of this imagery is like maybe lynchian like yeah. if yeah. i'm right. looking at those arms coming out of the walls you, you know, know it has some of that vibe to it i, I, was, and I even think like the makeup on the beast mm. is sure it, it's mm-hmm. it's almost uncanny valley like you can really tell yeah. where the makeup starts and ends but it looks so mm-hmm. good at the same time yeah. which 
I remember when I got this book and I saw Beauty and the Beast, I assumed that it was the 90s version because I never even knew that it was a 40s version because I was in elementary school. And I remember opening it and seeing the Beast's face and it's this black and white. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Um, yeah, the image, the, the picture in the book is really striking too. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually thought about Lynch while watching this um, because they're both like, it's a surrealist movie or or it has like surrealist elements but it's still like a pretty like followable story um as opposed to as opposed to something like Boonwell, who i I, we're going to talk about him next week um Mm -hmm. but i've often felt like a little bit cold by some of his movies because they're just like a bit Mm -hmm. too far for me um yeah i can't believe there's some movies too surreal I know, for I'm Nick. Ex- yeah whereas i'm excited this, to... is, this is just like it's a, a a regular movie that has some surrealist flair to it or like i guess yeah. i guess mahone drives a little bit further than just a little bit of surrealist flair but may, maybe like blue velvet like it has a little bit of surrealism to it but for the most part it's just kind of like a straightforward movie with some goofy stuff um yeah. So I guess that that like Some aspect of it, stuff. yeah, that aspect Some of goofy it, stuff um, is sort of like my speed, I guess. So maybe it does make more sense than I mm-hmm. was given credit for. Um, so next week we are going to be talking about Belle du Jour by Boonwell. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. Oh, sh- should we give ratings for uh, the cartoon too? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Sorry. <laughs> I think I know where all, both of you are going to go. Yeah. Um, four, yeah, it's, it's a four out of four for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Got to be true to myself. Yeah. I, I, I'm going three out of four. Like, it's a good movie. I like it, but I, I'm, I don't, uh, I'm not quite as high on it as you two. Mm-hmm. That's, That's nice. fair. We'll allow it. All right. Yeah. Of course. So, uh,. Next week, Bill DeJour. In the meantime, you can find us on Letterboxd and on Twitter at Great Movies Pod. And as always, you can also find our buddy Scott Brady, S. Brady Artist. He did our artwork. And yeah, that's it, right? I think that's it. I think that's everything. (laughs) Poor Dylan passes out. I feel like there was something else we needed to plug, but I think that was it. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah, Letterboxd and Twitter and yeah, our okay. artwork and next week and we're good. All right, cool. Yeah. Roger out. All right, Roger out. Roger out, guys. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.